Well, we're in the midst of a series of lessons entitled The Fruit of the Spirit, Nine Virtues of the Christian Life from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it's in the context of these two key verses that the Apostle Paul talks about this very battle between the Spirit and the flesh, our old sinful nature and our new spiritual nature. Again, Paul writes in verse 17, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. We know firsthand exactly what Paul's talking about here, don't we? Each and every day we experience this raging battle within our lives. We want to do the right thing, the godly thing. We want to show the fruit of the Spirit in what we do say and think, but often we give in to the desires of our old sinful nature instead. And the very thing we do not want to do is the thing we do. Perhaps this ongoing battle is most evident with today's fruit of the Spirit, and that's faithfulness. We, we want to be faithful. We long to be loyal and steadfast. We desire to be trustworthy and dependable. We say that we want to be unwavering and unerring in our faith, but instead we find ourselves unfaithful, rebellious, disloyal. Our infidelity with God and others is alarming. If you haven't done so yet, I want to encourage you to take your lesson notes out of your program, would you? So you can follow along as we study together. And then I want you to turn with me in your Bible to the book of Hosea. <laughs> That's one we don't go to very often, but it's right after the book of Daniel that we looked at last week. The book of Hosea in the Old Testament. It's on page 1400 if you're using the Pew Bible. Once again, the seventh fruit of the Spirit, the seventh virtue that should mark our lives as genuine, authentic Christ followers is faithfulness. Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. So let's begin today's lesson by looking at faithfulness explained. What exactly is this faithfulness and how can we explain this seventh virtue? What does a faithful person look like? Well, the dictionary gives this definition, faithful, which is the adjective form and the simplest form of the word, means strict or thorough in the performance of duty, such as a faithful worker, true to one's word, promises, and vows, steady in allegiance or affection, loyal, constant, reliable, trusted, or believed, adhering or true to a fact, a standard, or an original, accurate, such as a faithful account or a faithful copy, Full of faith. I mean, that's what the word faithful means. Now the Greek word pistis used here in Galatians 5.22 and 243 other times throughout the New Testament can be translated faith, faithful, or faithfulness depending upon how it is used in the context of a particular verse. 
In its roots, it came from a word that meant to be persuaded to trust someone. And it carried with it the certainty, actually the guarantee or the warranty, if you will, that this person would be steadfast and true. Hence, the adjective faithful is also translated trustworthy, dependable, reliable, steadfast, or loyal. In its noun form, faithfulness is also translated fidelity, allegiance, even authenticity. Now, out of all these synonyms, I guess the translation of pistis that I like the best is trustworthiness. Trustworthiness. Faithfulness equals trustworthiness. When Paul writes, the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness, I believe he's talking about this Christian virtue of being trustworthy. Being dependable, reliable. Someone you can trust at all times in all situations without fail. Let's read Proverbs 20 and verse 6 out loud together. Read this with me. Many people will say that they are faithful, but who can actually find a trustworthy person? Ah, what a question. Psalm 12 verse 1 is even more to the point. Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are trustworthy have vanished from the human race. Hmm. And so the question each of us needs to ask ourselves this morning is, how faithful, how trustworthy am I? Can God, can can people really rely and depend upon me? Is there fidelity in my life? Is my faith authentic and steadfast? Is my loyalty and allegiance unwavering? Again, how faithful, how trustworthy am I? Now while you're pondering your answer to that question, let's move on to our second main point, which is faithfulness exemplified. Again, Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, who can actually find a trustworthy person? And let us, by the way, be abundantly clear that there is only one who is truly faithful and trustworthy. There's only one who exemplifies this virtue of faithfulness perfectly, and that, of course, is God. Once again, as with all of the other fruit of the Spirit, this virtue finds its origin, its roots, in the very character, the very nature of God Himself. David proclaimed God's faithfulness again and again throughout the Psalms. Here's just a few examples. Psalm 36, verse 5, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heaven, your faithfulness to the skies. Psalm 86, verse 15, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Psalm 89, verse 1, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. Psalm 89, verse 8, Who is like You, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and Your faithfulness surrounds You. Psalm 100, verse 5, For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 117, verse 2, For great is His love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Realize, of course, that we could go on and on. Have you ever given much thought to God's faithfulness? 
I mean, have you ever seriously considered what it means when the Bible says that God is faithful? I mean, this is who God is. He's trustworthy, reliable, dependable, loyal, steadfast. Because of His very nature, we can count on Him. His love is unfailing and unchanging. He will never ever forsake us or fail us. Let me put it this way. Do you realize that there is nothing that you yourself can do that will ever cause God to love you less or to love you more, for that matter, than He does right at this very moment? Nothing. Write this down in your notes. When I am unfaithful, God is faithful. When I am unfaithful, God is faithful. Do you really believe that to be true? Do you believe that there's nothing you can do, say, or think that would ever change God's faithfulness to you? Now earlier I asked you to turn with me in your Bible to the book of Hosea. (laughs) You familiar with the prophet Hosea? He's kind of one of those obscure prophets. You ever read his story? It's amazing. You've got to read it if you haven't. It's a story of God's faithfulness in the midst of His people's unfaithfulness. Follow along in your Bible as I read. Hosea chapter 1. We'll pick it up with verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now that's the southern tribes, the two tribes, the, the, the nation of Judah, if you will. Okay, And at the same time, during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, that's the ten northern kingdom, ten northern tribes, the northern kingdom of Israel itself. And so we see that Hosea's tenure as a prophet, if you will, spanned over the reign of these kings that were just named. And verse 2 says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea. In other words, when God called Hosea and separated him, ordained him to be a prophet, to be a spokesman for him. Now you know what a prophet is. A prophet is somebody who stands between God and God's people to proclaim God's message. Okay? And when the Holy Spirit came upon Hosea, the Lord said to him, verse 2, Go, take to yourself... Now, this is a strange request. Don't miss this. Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer. Now, I'll just stop there. (laughs) Because the rest of this story as it unfolds is the story of Hosea and Gomer of God and Israel. But why in the world would God have Hosea marry a prostitute, a whore? Because He wanted Hosea to experience firsthand what it was like to be in a relationship with someone who is unfaithful. Someone who's full of infidelity and treachery and disloyalty. Someone who is constantly adulterous. Why? So that Hosea, and so that the Israelites, and ultimately so that we, 
would understand exactly how God feels when we are unfaithful to Him. And so that we would understand that even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. In spite of the Israelites' unfaithfulness, God was still faithful. That's the story of Hosea and Gomer. Again, when I'm unfaithful, God is faithful. Now, I don't think I can explain this any better than Francis Chan did at a recent Passion Conference. And so I want you to watch this with me. Such a beautiful picture of this. In my, my favorite is the book of Hosea. Remember in the book of Hosea where, where he tells this prophet, you know, this pastor, this man of God, he goes, he goes, I want you to marry a whore. I want you to marry a whore. It seems like it wasn't just a prostitute. Sometimes people were forced into prostitution just out of their desperation. This was a choice. A choice to go around and be with all these different people. He goes, I want you to marry her. I want you to marry her. Why? Because I want to show Israel what it's like to be married to her. And how I'm faithful. And the story is, is here's this man of God, Hosea, who marries this, this whore, Gomer. And after getting married in chapter 3, what happens is, you know, she should have been like, are you kidding me? A man of God's going to marry me? you got to be kidding me. This is great. I'm going to be faithful to you. That's not what happens. In chapter 3, you see her going back to her, whole, her old life. And you have this scene where God tells Hosea, go back, go after her, and I want you to buy her back. Can you imagine Hosea going, are you kidding me? But he goes, and this woman, Gomer, she's on auction. She's being sold with a bunch of other slaves. And when he names the price, she's actually getting paid. They're they're asking like half the price you would normally pay for a female servant. Probably because she was so worn out, so messed up. And you got these other women, maybe more beautiful, standing up there and people are bidding for them, buying them. Can you imagine what it would be like to be her at that point? And suddenly you hear a voice from the back of the room going, no, I, I want her! And you recognize, that's my ex-husband. That's a guy I left. That's a guy I left to go sleeping with these other people. And Hosea just walking up to the front. I can just picture him going, no, no, I want her. Give her to me. Look, I'll, I'll pay whatever. i got to have her back. See, that was all a picture. I mean, it was so gross. So like, man, who would do that? And God's saying, that's me. God's looking at some of you who are probably feeling like Gomer going, man, but I messed up my life. You gave me every opportunity. I messed it up. You'll never want me back. And God says, no, even though you were faithless, I've remained faithful. I still want you. I still want you. I'll buy you back right now. You know what? I'll buy you back. I'll pay whatever I need to pay. We'll forget about everything that just happened, all that you've done. I want you back. Do you believe that's the God that we worship tonight? That God is looking at you 
regardless of what you've done, going, man, I'll buy you back. I know you were faithless, but I never stopped being faithful, pursuing you, loving you. And as long as it's still called the day, as long as you're still breathing right now, you've got a chance. I'll buy you back right now. I'll take you back. You can just lay it all at the cross. Like, how much do you trust? How much do you trust God's Word? Like, do you really trust? Do you believe you can lean on this? Do you believe you can lean on 1 John 1, 9? That faithful God says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much do you believe that promise? Do you really believe that right now all I would have to do with everything I've done is say, God, here's what I did. And the Bible says He's faithful and just. Do you believe that? That you could do that right now and He would say, not only do I forgive you, but I cleanse you from every bit of unrighteousness in you. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You don't walk away with a little bit of guilt. You just walk away going, I'm completely clean right now. Because across, I'm completely clean. Why? Because I trust God's Word. Other people have made me promises. I don't believe it. But I do believe what you just read. I don't even know why I believe. I just know that's true. That I can confess it right now. Because He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Apostle Paul asked this question in Romans 3 and verse 3. What if we are unfaithful? Will our unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? And the resounding answer is no! And Paul answers his own question, in fact, in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. In other words, God cannot be untrue to His very own character and nature. He is faithful. Wow. And that's the story of Hosea and Gomer. And that's the story of you and me and God. So there's only one who is faithful and trustworthy. There's only one who exemplifies this virtue of faithfulness perfectly, and that's God. And then as we embrace Jesus Christ as the forgiver and leader of our lives, and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, He begins to produce this fruit of faithfulness in and through our lives. We ourselves begin to develop the same virtue of trustworthiness as our Heavenly Father. Wow. In fact, that's our Father's desire for us to be faithful and trustworthy even as He is faithful and trustworthy. In fact, look at this. This is an amazing psalm. Look at this. Psalm 51, verse 6. Yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Is that amazing? Even in the womb, before we were even born, God's desire for us was that we would be faithful even as He is faithful. Even as He exemplifies trustworthiness that we would be the same. Which leads us to our final main point. That's faithfulness expressed. <laughs> David wrote Psalm 119, verse 30, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. He chose it. 
He made a decision. (laughs) He said, I have decided I am going to pursue faithfulness. I'm going to walk the path of faithfulness in my life. So practically speaking, what does that look like? As we choose to allow the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of faithfulness in and through our lives, in what ways is this trustworthiness demonstrated? What are some specific areas of our daily lives where we are to express faithfulness? Well, I suppose the answer is everywhere. But let's get more specific than that, okay? As I researched this fruit of faithfulness this past week, I discovered ten areas of our lives where trustworthiness should be expressed. So fasten your seatbelt because we're going to go through these pretty quickly. (laughs) And jot them down as we go, will you? Number one, time. We're to be faithful in our time. Read Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16 out loud with me. Let's read this together. Live life then with a due sense of responsibility, not as people who do not know the meaning and purpose of life, but as those who do. Make the best use of your time despite all the difficulties of these days. Don't be vague, but firmly grasp what you know to be the will of God. Don't miss that phrase. Make the best use of your time. Simply put, we need to be faithful in our time management. So what does that mean? Well, how about in keeping appointments? How about in being on time? Never late. How about in not squandering or wasting our time on frivolous and meaningless things? How about in respecting other people's time? How about in giving God the first and the best part of our time each and every day? How about in tithing our time to God? You ever thought about that? We're to tithe, that's part of the principles in Scripture. Not just our money, our resources, but our time. So if God has given us 168 hours every week, we should be giving 17 of those hours back to God in service and ministry. Do you ever think about that that way? Give it some thought. I'm sure I could continue, but you get the idea. The first area of our lives where faithfulness should be expressed is in our time. Number two, money. We should be faithful in our money. Jesus asks us a penetrating question in Luke 16, verse 11. If you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And the point is, we'll never be trusted with true riches, greater spiritual responsibilities, if we can't be trusted to manage our financial affairs. We must be faithful stewards of the resources God has entrusted to our care. We must demonstrate trustworthiness in regard to our money management, or both God and people will never trust us to handle much of anything else in life. The person who cannot be trusted with money cannot be trusted with much else. By the way, did you know that the first and primary test of our faithfulness in money management is giving, tithing? Read Proverbs 3, verse 9 with me. Honor the Lord by giving Him the first part of all your income. Not the leftovers, the first part before anything else. Every Sunday, our trustworthiness with money is tested when the offering bag is passed at the end of the worship service. Enough said. 
Second area of our lives where faithfulness should be expressed is our money. Number three, shape. S-H-A-P-E. Now, if you've been around Springville Naz very long, you'll recognize that shape is an acrostic for spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. And we believe this summarizes how God has uniquely shaped each and every one of us for His purpose and our mission in life. And it's my responsibility to discover and develop my shape. It's your responsibility to know and understand your shape and to serve God and others according to that shape. We must be found faithful when it comes to our shape. God has entrusted each of us with a unique shape for His glory. And He's going to hold us accountable. I'm not accountable for your shape. I'm accountable for my shape. You're accountable for your shape. And I don't know about you, but when I stand before God, it's my desire to hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your Master's happiness. So the third area of our lives where faithfulness should be expressed is in our shape. Number four, words. We need to show faithfulness in our words. Jesus Himself said in Matthew 12, verses 36 and 37, let me tell you something. Every careless word is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation. Words can also be your damnation. Whoa. In other words, we need to be faithful. We need to be trustworthy in what we say. What does that mean? Well, the Bible gives us a whole long list of sins of the mouth. Things like lying, gossiping, betraying, boasting, cursing, quarreling, harsh words, hasty words, empty promises, chattering, (laughs) too many words, And that's just to name a few, but I think you get the point. So the fourth area of our lives where faithfulness should be expressed is in our words. Number five, friendships. We need to be trustworthy in our friendships. And the question is, can other people count on you? Are you reliable? Are you dependable? Can you be trusted? Proverbs 17, 17 reminds us a true friend is always, always loyal. I mean, that says it all. So the fifth area of our lives where faithfulness should be expressed is in our friendships. Number six, marriage. Fidelity in marriage. Let's read uh, Hebrews 13 verse 4 out loud together. Read this with me. Honor your marriage and its vows and be pure, for God will surely punish all those who are immoral or commit adultery. Folks, with a 50% divorce rate in our country today, this is a huge problem. And the problem is even bigger than the divorce rate. A recent survey indicates that nearly 75% of all marriages suffer from some form of infidelity. It's amazing. And I don't even believe that that percentage illustrates how desperate the situation is. Why do I say that? Because that doesn't measure the secret sin of lust, especially the addiction to pornography. Here's the clincher, in my honest opinion. 
Hallmark now has a greeting card that says, I can't promise you forever, but I can promise you today. Yep, you read it correctly. I can't promise you forever, but I can promise you today. You've got to be kidding me! No wonder cohabitation is the choice of so many couples today. No marriage covenant, no long-term commitment. Add to that the so-called gay agenda and same-sex marriages. And I would say that the traditional biblical God-ordained institution of marriage is in big trouble. So the sixth area of our lives where faithfulness should be expressed is in our marriage. Number seven, work. I love my dad. He's gone home to be with the Lord now, but he was a wonderful example to me. I'm not, I was fortunate to have a wonderful dad. And from the time my dad came home for World War II until the day that he retired, he worked for one of the same company. That's faithfulness. And that's unheard of, by the way, in today's workplace. Did you know that the average job tenure is now less than two years? From the star athlete who becomes a free agent and negotiates a new ridiculous megabuck contract with another team to the hourly wage worker who moves from this job to that in search of better pay, a better work environment, and more benefits, the age of job loyalty has come and gone. Not only that, but so is much of the work ethic of past generations. Example? Not only did my dad work his entire career for the same company, he only missed one and a half days of work in 38 years. I'm proud of that. That's faithfulness. That's loyalty. That's dependability. I think the bottom line is found in Colossians 3 and verse 23. Whatever your work may be, work at it the best you can. Work as if you were doing it for the Lord, not for your employer. So the seventh area of our lives where faithfulness should be expressed is in our work. Number eight, church. <laughs> church. We must be faithful and trustworthy, dependable, reliable, steadfast in church. Let's read Romans 12, verses 4 and 5 out loud together. We are like the various parts of the human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people, the church. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of His body. Did you get that? Simply put, we need the church. And the church needs us. We are, in fact, interdependent and we cannot thrive as Christ followers without being a meaningful and a functioning part of His body, the church. We need to be faithful and trustworthy when it comes to the local church. What does that mean? Well, how about starting with attendance for one thing? How about again in our giving, our tithing? How about in our serving according to our shape? How about in our partnership? Yeah, I'm talking here about membership. Stepping up to the plate and saying, okay, I'm going to put my membership, my partnership in. And I'm sure I could go on and on. But you know what I'm talking about. The church is like a chain. It is only as strong as its weakest link. 
Here's the question. <laughs> Think about this question, would you? What would this church be like if every person was just like you? Hmm. What would this church be like if every person was just like you? Enough said. The eighth area of our lives where faithfulness should be expressed is in our church. Number nine, Jesus. You might say, well, duh. But we can't go without mentioning this. Revelation 14 verse 12 instructs us, God's people need to keep true to God's Word and stay faithful to Jesus. I love that verse. I mean, that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? God's people need to keep true to God's Word and stay faithful to Jesus. There you go. And so we need to ask ourselves, am I faithful to Jesus? Can Jesus count on me to be trustworthy? How's my loyalty, my allegiance to Him? Is my relationship with Jesus constant and steadfast? As the bride of Christ, that's what we are, right? As the bride of Christ, is there complete fidelity? Is there absolutely no hint of adultery? Our unfaithfulness in my relationship with Jesus. So the ninth area of our lives where faithfulness should be expressed is with Jesus. Number ten, my witness. I need to be faithful and true in my witness. Jesus encourages us, in fact, in Revelation 2 and verse 10, to be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Now, this verse was certainly applicable to the early Christians who often did have to give their very lives for their faith. But this verse is once again becoming applicable to Christians around the world today. In fact, more believers are being martyred for their faith in Christ today than in any other time throughout history. By the way, did you know that this word martyr comes to us directly from the Greek word martus, and martus is the word that is always translated witness in the New Testament. You see, to the early Christian, being a witness was often synonymous with being a martyr. To take a stand for Christ was often a death sentence. And once again, it's happening on an even larger scale in the 21st century to openly confess Jesus Christ in North Korea, Somalia, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, Sudan, Iran, Pakistan, and Nigeria almost always means death. And there are an additional 41 countries on the world watch list where there's at least a 50% chance that your witness will lead to your martyrdom. To put it another way, 50 out of 196 countries in the world today have made it a crime punishable by death to be a Christian. What's even more alarming than the 50 countries is that they represent two-thirds of the entire world's population. In two-thirds of the world today, if you take a stand for Christ, you are declaring, I'm willing to die. Now, what's my point in saying that? Well, I'm not a prophet or son of a prophet, but I believe as we move closer to the end, this same persecution is going to come to us right here. 
I believe there's coming a day when you and I will have to make a choice. Either recant our witness, our faith, or die. And when that day comes, and by the way, I think it's coming sooner than we think. When we are faced with that choice, will we be found faithful? I want you to think about that. And when that day comes, I want you to remember, Pastor Mark said this was going to come. I don't know, it may not be in my lifetime, but I know it's coming. So the tenth area of our lives where faithfulness should be expressed is in our witness. Faithfulness expressed as we choose to allow the Holy Spirit to produce this fruit of faithfulness in and through our lives. In what ways is this trustworthiness demonstrated? What are some of the specific areas of our lives where we are to express faithfulness? This is not an exhaustive list, but here are ten areas. Our time, our money, our shape, our words, our friendships, our marriage, our work, our church, Jesus, our witness. Here's what I want you to do. We kind of went through that fast. So you got some homework. I want you to take this list home this week. And in your quiet time, just you and God, I want you to go back through that list again. And look up those Scriptures again. And I want to have you test your faithfulness in light of these ten areas. Would you do that for me? I'm going to do it. The fruit of the Spirit. This morning we focus on the seventh virtue of the Christian life. The seventh quality of the inner character of a genuine, authentic Christ follower, and that's faithfulness. Galatians 5.22 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. Trustworthiness. Well, let's wrap up today's lesson by reading... 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2 out loud together. Would you read this with me? As God's stewards, we who are trusted with something valuable must show ourselves to be worthy of that trust. We must be found faithful. We must be found faithful. We must be found faithful. Faithful.